following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. It wasn't supposed to happen like this, at least according to the ragtag group of followers who had gathered around Jesus for the past three years. And we don't know how many disciples really followed him around, how many were regulars at all of his public events, right? Men and women from some of the most unlikely of places. He had a revolutionary with him who wanted to overthrow the government. He had a tax collector who served the government. He had a handful of fishermen, a woman formerly possessed by seven demons, even a Jewish religious leader who dared to defy his peers as he secretly trusted in this person, Jesus whom God had sent to save them all. And back then as it is today, Jesus had a variety of followers who believed in him, a great variety who believed in him, but believed in him to do what exactly? If if we're honest, probably a lot of them didn't know. They recognized that he had come from God and that he had something good to bring to this earth, but they had no idea what good he would bring. But they were watching They were waiting, they were listening, looking. Perhaps these people were wiser than they knew. See, others had very specific ideas of what Jesus was about. For some, they thought that Jesus was here so that he might be the end of Roman oppression and and that he would be bringing justice to all of those involved. And there was even a significant movement among his followers to make him an earthly king, even if they had to do it by force. Others probably expected to see nothing more than what they saw. They liked what they saw, and they wanted more of it. Jesus taught, and he healed, and he taught, and he healed. And maybe that was all there was to it, but they wanted a lot of that. More teaching, more healing. And among all these disciples, those the Bible names, those the Bible does not name, we do know that he had chosen 12 who would be a special, they would have a special level of access to his life. These 12 he called to leave behind their former lives and place everything in his hands. They went everywhere once. They heard all of Jesus' teachings, probably many of them over and over again because Jesus taught many things multiple times in multiple places. They even got to hear Jesus teach the things that the general public was not prepared to hear. They got the story behind the story. They were the ones who declared it first When others were naming Jesus as the next great prophet, these disciples had the wisdom to see that he was more than that, that he was the Messiah, the promised Savior of the Jewish people. He wasn't a simple prophet. He was the anointed one. He was the Son of God that the prophets had foretold. They got it. They knew what others could never have seen, and Jesus shared with them some of the deepest mysteries of his Father's plan. But no one expected this. Jesus was not supposed to accomplish God's will on earth by being arrested by an angry mob bearing torches and weapons. And even if they could get past that, the Savior of the Jewish people was not supposed to be found guilty in an illegally called gathering of Jewish leaders. Nor was the Son of God supposed to be sentenced to death by the Roman government because because their governor decided to take an arbitrary poll from a biased audience. 
None of these things were supposed to happen, right? But perhaps they would have been tolerable if it weren't for what happened next. Jesus died. Now, there's been many great stories told where the hero faces incredible odds, impossible difficulties, setbacks that threaten to ruin any possibility of a happy ending, but at the last possible moments, salvation comes from an unlikely place, right? But this, this day, this Friday, was not one of those stories. On this day, the disciples' hope faltered with a finality as certain as death itself. Some disciples lasted longer than others, but by the time Jesus is actually nailed to the cross and put on display for a mocking crowd, the vast majority have fled, possibly given up. Only one of the 12 is mentioned at the cross, along with Jesus' mother and another woman named Mary. No one under among the disciples would have dared to call this day Good Friday. This was not supposed to happen. And so, Jesus' followers were at a crossroads. Up until now, they had spent their time envisioning a different future than the one that was staring them directly in the face today. They had planned on a life where Jesus would not die, where the Son of God would not be talked down or taken down or in any other way defeated by the likes of anyone. They were looking forward to Jesus revealing more of the mysteries of God's plan to them. Their days were forecast to hold more of the same but only better as they learned and as they grew in this relationship with the one they called Messiah. But that future was no longer an option. How could the disciples wake up the next morning and ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, what's your plan for the day? How could they learn from his teachings in the temple or out on the plains? How could they be there to distribute the food that he would multiply? They could not. Whatever the way forward would be, it would be a new direction. There were questions to answer now that they never thought they'd have to answer. Well, if Jesus is dead, what does that say about us? Are, are we still disciples? I mean, you can't really follow Jesus anywhere if Jesus isn't here anymore, right? Do we just follow his teachings then? But, but then there seems to be a lot about them that doesn't make any sense right now. He talked about eternal life and bringing people to the Father and that he had to do that. How do those teachings apply if he's dead? And even worse, perhaps, was this nagging question if Jesus just died, who was he really? Because we know that man cannot kill God. Were we wrong about Jesus altogether? For the next three weeks, we'll be in this teaching series called At the Crossroads, How to Choose When Life Takes a Turn. We'll be looking at how God's Word guides us at these moments when life doesn't look the way we planned for it to. Interestingly enough, we planned this series based on the fact that we knew our church was moving into a time of transition and a time of change. And yet now it seems our world has even more reason to say, we need to know what to do. We need to know what God's word says when life doesn't look the way we thought it would.
Well, today we want to start with this incredible story from the book of Luke, chapter 24, that gives us a clear example of God stepping into such a situation. So if you have your Bibles with you or your digital Bibles on your phones, go ahead and go to Luke chapter 24 and get ready for that, Uh, and we'll get there in a minute. The disciples were at a crossroads. Whatever way forward they chose would have to be different, not just the road they came from and certainly not the road that they thought they were heading toward. In other words, there was nowhere for them to go but different. And as you'll see in this passage, they were stuck, stuck in grief, stuck in confusion. But unbeknownst to them, God was about to perform His finest work right under their noses. We'll start reading at verse 13, but before we do, let me, let me continue setting the stage. We've moved from Friday, right? The worst day in history by some perspectives. Friday had passed, Saturday had come and gone, and now it was Sunday morning. And the Bible says it was very early Sunday morning. And maybe this very early hour uh, was there for a reason. At this early hour, a good number of women had arranged to make a trip to Jesus' tomb. Maybe they couldn't sleep anyway. You know, let's go do something and try to be productive in this terrible time. So an early morning trip was arranged. I don't know, Jesus' mother, Mary, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and others, the Bible says, I don't know what motivated them to, but they all got together very early in the morning and brought spices with them, which is significant because it tells us why they were going to Jesus' tomb. The spices were for Jesus' body, which they all expected to be there. (laughs) Only when the women arrived, the tomb was open. The tomb was empty, and two angels were standing there. Two angels were standing there to tell them that Jesus had had other plans. The angels tell them the good news that Jesus is not here, but He is risen. And they also do something else significant. They remind the women of something. They said, He is risen just as He said that Jesus had told them plainly that he would rise from their grave on the third day. And it says that when the women heard this, they remembered Jesus' words. So filled with joy and excitement about the news, the women rush off to tell the 11 remaining disciples their incredible story. You see, Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, had taken his own life. It wasn't supposed to happen this way. And that was the way he took. But the 11 disciples were still together in confusion and in grief. And the women come back to them with this message. They have a first-hand account of an empty tomb. They saw two angels telling them Jesus is alive. And they now remember that Jesus himself predicted this exact same scenario was all going to happen, that he had told them all in advance. And they have multiple witnesses to corroborate the story. Should that be enough? Should that be enough to turn the disciples' depression into at least a glimmer of hope? But the Bible says, quote, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, one of them, Peter, 
believes them just enough to go, that's crazy, but let me go see. And so he goes out to check for himself. He runs to the tomb. He sees it empty. He sees the grave clothes lying there with nobody in them and then goes away. What? Not believing. Not believing. Not hopeful. The Bible says he went away wondering what happened. (laughs) See, if Jesus was never supposed to die, why would it make sense to believe he was supposed to be raised to life? This was not supposed to happen. Or at least, this was not expected to happen. Okay, so now the stage is set. What I think is one of the coolest stories in the whole Bible. Let us read this. We've been building it up so long. Let us read this verse or this story starting at verse 13. And, and we're going to read a longer passage than we normally do. But there's just nothing here that I would rather summarize than read directly. Uh, it's just that cool of a story. So verse 13 and following. Now that same day, two of them, two of these disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road? And opened the scriptures up to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke 
the bread. And the story goes on and tells how after they did all of this, then Jesus shows up right there in the midst of that gathering. The disciples are initially very frightened by his presence, but he lets them touch his body. He eats some fish in front of them so that they will believe he is not a ghost. Then it says something interesting. It says that Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures as he begins to reteach them how his death and resurrection fit in with God's plan. Needless to say, it has been a rough few days for the disciples. And although this change in their lives was all part of the culminating moments of God's ultimate plan to forever change the covenant between God and humanity and to open a way to resurrection and eternal life, that's a pretty great thing. It was a terrifying crossroads experience for His disciples. Like it or not, built into the fabric of life is the fact that we will all face unexpected crossroads. And what I mean by that is we will come to important decision points just like the disciples did where there is no real option to say the same anymore. We may have different options as to what the future holds, but they all, all of those different options make a break with the past. And so we face the choice of what path in life will we take next. I mean, it starts as early as birth, right? As a baby has to adjust to a cold, bright world that she has never known before. Children experience crossroads, experience constantly as part of growing up as they mature and change and grow. You know, they leave behind action figures and trade them for computers. They, they exchange their bicycles for a learner's permit, never to look back, right? But... But those are almost the easier types of crossroads experiences, right, for us to look at. They're, they're just a normal part of growing up. We can almost view them with nostalgia as if it was some magical moment for a, for a toddler to give up his pacifier or, a, or an 18-year-old to leave the house for college. We can look at those like with nostalgia, even though those events can be very legitimate struggles of their own and very difficult for those who are going through them. But see, life does not stop there with the transitions and the choices that we have all come to know and expect. Instead, it's, it's also loaded with curveballs and surprises, bringing us to decision points, to crossroads we never hoped to face. A loved one dies. Someone totals your car and, oh, they didn't have insurance. You lose your job. You have to move. Someone you're in a relationship with damages that relationship beyond a simple repair. A leader you are following announces that he's stepping down. Though we often think about these experiences as negative, they certainly all don't have to be. Sometimes the crossroads are caused by good things, even great things. Maybe you're offered a promotion at work, but... It'll require you to move or it'll require you to work a different shift. And if you want to take that promotion, now you're at a crossroads. Maybe God wants to change something in your character so that, you know, you will have the incredible blessing in your life of being more like Him. He wants, you to, he wants to increase your peace and make you more effective in loving others into His kingdom. Well, if you want that blessing, and trust me, it's a good one, you'll find yourself at a crossroads. You won't be able to remain the same and have God make you more like Himself. 
You'll have to figure out a new way to go forward in life. So whether good things or bad things brought the crossroads to bear, but especially when it's bad, these are times when people seem to be reminded of God. You see, when everything continues as it always has, we can be tempted to believe some crazy things, like things always will be this way, or even more dangerous, things always should be this way. And so why would God be involved if things were always how they should already be, or if things already are as they should be, and they are going to continue always being that way? I mean, if I've been earning a steady paycheck at the same job day in and day out for 10 years, I probably don't pray to God very often, Lord, please provide for my finances. But the instant that job goes away, huh, I'm at a crossroads and I expect to see God show up. I need God to provide for me then. If I've been married to my wife for as long as I can remember, I'm probably not tempted to pray for the health of my marriage because I expect things to continue on as they always have been, right? But if my marriage falls apart, all of a sudden, I'm demanding that God comes to the rescue. I'm desperate for His involvement. Now, I will beg Him to rescue my marriage And if he doesn't, he better have a real good reason. When life doesn't leave us the option of staying the same, we expect God to be involved. And in the time remaining today, I want to see what we can learn from the story we just looked at. As the disciples went through their own crossroads and God did get involved, he was involved from the very beginning. And to keep it simple, let's look at one thing we can learn from the disciples And one thing we can learn from Jesus' involvement. Now, if we look first to the disciples, to all the followers of Jesus in this story that we've seen, uh, the original 12 down to 11 disciples, the women at the cross and the tomb, the disciples walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, what, what could we possibly learn from them? I mean, didn't they get everything wrong, pretty much? They would have stopped Jesus from giving his life on the cross. They totally forgot about the resurrection. I mean, you can forget about a lot of things, but please, not that. Really, who forgets about it when the Son of God says, I must die and will be raised three days later, and you guys will be there? These guys do. These women do. Every single one of them did. The 11 wouldn't even believe the solid testimony of the women who had finally learned that Jesus was alive and that they should have known already. And to top it all off, The two disciples on the path to Emmaus walked side by side with the risen Christ and didn't even notice. The disciples were depressed, they were hiding, they were confused. And it was evident that some had already lost hope in their Messiah. On the road to Emmaus, Cleopas doesn't even refer to Jesus as Messiah anymore. Did you notice that? He was just a prophet now. Jesus was a prophet whom Cleopas says they had hoped would redeem Israel. That's how it reads. They had hoped in him, but they're not hoping anymore. That time has passed, even though, he says, and the women just told us he's alive. Isn't that crazy? So I'll ask again, what could we possibly learn from them? Why should we learn from these people? What should we learn from these people's approach to life? Here's what we should learn. We can learn from their mistake, right? But Here's what we should learn. 
We should learn to approach life's unexpected crossroads with humility and not presuming we know what God is up to. Let me say that again because because I think this is central to what God wants us to learn from this story. We should learn to approach life's unexpected crossroads with humility and not presuming that we know what God is up to. See, I think it's easy for us to read this story today and find instant fault with the disciples. They had been told about Jesus' death and resurrection. They believed that he was God and that everything would be orchestrated according to his Father's plan and for God's glory. In other words, they believed God was going to come out on top here. Well, did they really believe? Because they sure screwed up in this story. And I think the answer is yes to both. They really did believe. And yes, they really got it wrong. Both. As a matter of fact, I would argue that the disciples mentioned in these stories, they represented some of Jesus' best and most devoted followers. They were, in a sense, the cream of the crop. They knew him better than anyone did, and they were ready to devote the rest of their lives to him. These were the people who were the top picks by the master himself to change the world, to be the leaders that he would send to usher the kingdom of God into the next phases and to spread throughout the world. And get this, every one of those leaders, those hand-picked people, every one of them got it wrong. Not one single disciple is recorded as understanding what God was up to. Even his mother. (laughs) Did you pick up on that? His mother was listed among the women preparing to put spices on his body the morning of the resurrection. Now, if there was one woman on earth who would know what he was up to, wouldn't it be her? She is the only woman on earth to ever have had a baby supernaturally created inside her when she was still a virgin. This is a woman who had angels visit her and tell her before Jesus was born that he would be the Son of God. This is a woman who had the privilege of marveling at how God revealed himself in his Son, not just for three years of his ministry, but for an entire life of 33 years that Jesus was on earth. She had more than anyone to know. And she didn't understand what God was up to. What's my point? If Jesus' best, most devoted followers didn't understand what God was up to, we probably won't either. If Jesus' mom, his mom, was taken off guard, what's to say that we won't be? Are we better aware of God's day-to-day plans than they were? Do we have more faith than they had? Do we pay more attention to the clues that God puts in front of us than they did? I am not prepared to say that we are any better at trusting God than they were. You see, I still think that we do the exact same things that we see the disciples doing here. When we face an unexpected crossroads, we tend to relate to God by instinct rather than by humility. It was a natural instinct, a deep down gut feeling that the disciples had that said, the Son of God can't be captured, can't be hauled off like a a common criminal. And certainly, he could never be put to death by a bunch of humans who dared to be at odds with God's purposes. It also came very naturally for them to plunge into despair, to lose hope in a dead man. 
And the problem wasn't that the disciples had these natural inclinations, they had these instincts. The problem was that they followed them. The problem wasn't that they didn't understand what God was doing. That's pretty normal. I don't think we do either all the time. That wasn't the problem. It was that they presumed they did understand things that they clearly did not. And we do the same thing. We get bad news and we instantly know. We instantly know what we believe God's role is. Right? God, this terrible thing has happened and it was not of your will, we inform him. So I ask you to take it away again. God, this terrible thing that has happened was your will, we inform him. So I know you're bringing judgment on them and ask that you help them to repent. How do we know? Has God really revealed any of this to us? Or have we just gotten lazy enough in our relationship with him that we think we can completely predict what God is up to? Fun fact for you. Every single so-called prophet or preacher who has publicly predicted the date that Jesus was going to return to earth has been wrong. 100%. Now, you and I may not broadcast our presumptions about knowing God's plans in such an embarrassing way as that, but I think we're still like the disciples. We already have lists made in our minds about what God is supposed to do and what God is not supposed to allow. We've got the lists. We do. God is supposed to help my plans work out. God is supposed to hear and answer my prayers with the pre-provided answers I suggest to Him. God is supposed to keep me from pain and suffering, and He's supposed to bless me as often as I show up and ask Him for a blessing, as long as I say thanks. But He's not supposed to allow me to experience hardship. He's not supposed to allow me to lose my job, to get sick, to get injured. God's not supposed to allow me to struggle financially, and we could go on and on and on. Now, nobody here is going to write out their list and go, that's what I believe, right? Because that would be embarrassing too, right? But when an unexpected crossroads shows up, we are all too quick to presume what God's way is and what God would not allow. And we go to our lists. We go to our instincts. We go to those natural things that we feel rather than having humility and asking God what he will show us. The story of the disciples should show us. It should scream out to us, approach this crossroads with humility. Assume that you do not know everything God is up to. Do not trust in your instincts. God might want to do something that you just couldn't dream up. God might want to do something that you would never choose on your own. God might want to take his time revealing his plan to you, even though you think that the way forward should come as quickly as possible as soon as, you know, God figures it out, right? Instead of starting with your answers, so ready to help God out, Start with the well-founded knowledge that you don't have all the answers. Approach with humility. I hope we'll learn that lesson from the disciples, but it's not enough. We also need to learn something from Jesus' actions in the story. Though we cannot and we should not trust our own instincts, Jesus shows us that we can trust that God is already working 
and wants to meet us at the crossroads. We can trust that God is already working and wants to meet us at the crossroads. How many times, how many times have you prayed and asked God to get involved with something? God, I I, I just found out that so-and-so is struggling with his faith. Please, as a result of this prayer, help him find you. God, I just learned about this terrible refugee crisis going on in the Middle East right now. Please take an interest and provide relief. God, I'm going through a difficult time right now at work. Please be close to me during this time so that I will have the strength to make it through. Now, I'm not saying we should not pray those kinds of prayers. But sometimes there is an unconscious thinking behind them, an assumption behind them that God is not at work yet. That God isn't acting in my life or my friend's life or in the Middle East yet, but he will be once he answers my prayer. But see, Jesus shows us a very different picture in this story that should inform how we think and how we relate to him. He shows us a God who is already at work in the midst of the disciples' crisis long before they know it. What a powerful image he gives us, this this picture of Jesus Christ himself walking alongside, interacting with, even instructing his disciples when they were still blind to his involvement at all. The disciples interpreted their situation as hopeless, but the hope of creation resurrected from the dead, no less, was walking right beside them. You see, the disciples had forgotten another teaching that Jesus had given them, recorded in John chapter 5, verse 17. He taught them this simple but profound truth about God. My Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. In any situation we will find ourselves in, good, bad, or indifferent, God is already active, already active. He moves first. We will never give Him an idea. He is already at His work. We just may not recognize it yet. When the disciples thought Jesus was losing a battle against corrupt religious and political leaders, he was busy saving their souls. When they thought he was defeated in the grave, the Bible tells us that somewhat mysteriously in this time, he was freeing captives in that time between his death and resurrection. When they were perplexed about what could possibly have happened to his body on Sunday morning, he was explaining the scriptures to them. You can trust that however you got to your crossroads, God is already at his work and he wants to meet you there. He wants to meet you there. Isn't that good news? That for all of the doubt all of the presumption that the disciples engaged in, they didn't disqualify themselves. God wasn't like, really, I told you this was going to happen and you still don't believe, you're done. No. Even though their instincts were wrong over and over again, Jesus still met them in the midst of their doubt 
And he did three things for them that they could not do for themselves. If you read Luke chapter 24, read the whole chapter, you'll see these words. It says, first, Jesus opened their eyes. Second, it says he opened their minds. And third, it tells us that he commissioned them. He sent them out. He gave them the new way forward that they could not have come up with on their own. Life will hand you another unexpected crossroads experience if you're not in one already. And if you're a regular here at Canyon Ridge Church, you know this church is at its own crossroads. One road has come to its end, and before us lies an unknown future. The only way forward is different, right? I pray that you will, that I will, learn from this story of God's chosen followers. They were the ones through whom God was going to change the world, and they didn't get what he was up to. Well, if they didn't get it, chances are we won't always understand what God is up to either, so let us start out that way. Let's just start out saying, God, we don't know. We want to be humble. We want to assume we don't know your plans unless you've revealed them to us. But we shouldn't just resort to being people lost in the fog of change either. Instead, we are people who can know that God is already at his work somewhere. And so we should be on the lookout for that. We should be looking for him, seeking him out, as the scriptures tell us to do over and over again. We should know that in his timing, he will meet with us to give us the vision or the understanding or the guidance that we need to follow him on the new path in front of us. We remember those depressed, confused disciples who got it all wrong. Well, after they met with Jesus, they did go on to change the world. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your continued patience with doubting imperfect people like me. That you still want to meet with me and use me and transform me despite all the times that I've been caught telling you who I think you should be. I pray for those here today who are at an unexpected crossroad, a shift in their lives that wasn't in their plans. God, help them resist the urge to interact with you through instinct, but instead help them to humbly seek you out and find you afresh. And Lord, I pray for Canyon Ridge Church in this time of our crossroads. What a sobering thought it is to think that we all have yet to understand your plans and your way forward for this church. But help us to come together in that unyielding trust that you are already at work, that you are moving even and perhaps especially in ways that we cannot see or understand yet. And as we wait to have our eyes opened, give us your peace and your patience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.